everybody. Happy Mother's Day and welcome uh, to this live uh, Cinephiles Live episode here uh, on the Cinephiles YouTube channel. I am one of your co-hosts. I am the outlaw, John Roca, joined as always by the man over there, Steve Morris. Steve, how are you? Hello. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers cinephiles out there. All you mothers. Yeah. All you mothers. Um, how are you today, John? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, you know, I had a nice uh, conversation with mom earlier. Uh, I took a nice uh, leisurely walk. I'm starting to make myself walk an hour a day more. You know, I've gotten uh, I've gotten a little heavy, and so it's starting to bother me a little bit. So I've started to implement small changes to kind of make this because uh, I don't want to you know give up or give in too easily. So just kind of putting small changes into motion. So you know, I feel good today. I had a nice conversation with a couple of uh, family members of. Of uh, the lady outlaws, there we we were overdue for a conversation with them. So just a nice, relaxed Sunday, and uh, excited to be talking about Iron Man three on this show. How are you? I'm good. It's funny you and I were both walking. I was walking up and down the hills in my neighborhood, which is oh. why I'm still sweating a bit because it's <laughs> suddenly after the longest winter ever in Southern yeah. California. Oh yeah, it's hot. Yes. Um, and so if you see me wiping my brow or drips of sweat. That is my explanation for it. Well, I switched from my hiking hat, which is uh, my, I bought this specifically to hike with, to uh, my more fashionable uh, Mandalore hat here. That is wear, a stylish hat. Courtesy of, uh, courtesy of uh, uh, Heroes and Villains. If you guys haven't bought stuff there, you should definitely head over there. They have some really high quality merchandise if you're into Star Wars and Star Trek stuff. They've started out some new Star Trek stuff as well, oh, Steve. Cool. So. Great, great stuff there as well. Uh, well, yeah, we are live. This is our show that we do every month, uh, uh, taking one film or one topic and breaking it down with you all, the fans. 16 of you already joining us right off the bat. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure you hit a like on this video. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you haven't subscribed to the channel as well. And uh, we do take Streamlabs and Super Chat. So if you want to send in support, you want a question, or you have a question about the show or about the episode or about this particular movie, Send it in as we're going along. Steve and I will read them uh, as and answer them as uh, as the show goes along. So today we're talking about Iron Man three. Steve, do we know? Uh, do we remember how this came about? Like, what, what was the journey for us to pick Iron Man three for this particular live show? Well, we decided about a year ago that the that we were going to tackle. People have been asking us to tackle the MCU. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do it? And what we basically decided was. We have our 10-year rule, which maybe gets a little fuzzy sometimes, but <laughs> that what we're going to do is we're going to tackle each MCU movie on its 10th anniversary, right. which meant that we had to do a lot of catch-up. So last year, we did a whole bunch of Marvel movies. This year, yeah. I think we're only doing two, and it is now the 10th anniversary for Iron Man 3, and so here we are. Yeah, we didn't think it merited a full breakdown uh, as maybe Iron Man 1 would. But this one is one that we definitely want to talk about because it has been three years or ten years rather since it came out. It is the seventh film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, directed by Shane Black, co-written by Shane Black and uh, Drew Pierce. Um, it uses elements of uh, Warren Ellis's Extremis run in the comics. There, for those of you who have uh, who are aware of the Extremis run in the comic books and Marvel and Iron Man's attachment to all of that. I mean, this film though, it's because I said it uses elements. It isn't a straight copy. In this film, is kind of extremists is weaved into the overall storyline, which is basically a national terrorism campaign is going on against the United States as led by the mysterious Mandarin. And of course, for those of you who are Iron Man fans, you know the Mandarin is a very big uh, villain in the Iron Man universe. Um, just a little bit of background here. When it finished its run, it was the fifth highest grossing film of all time with 1.25 
$1.215 billion. It is currently 23rd, which tells you how much the box office has blown up for so many movies since this came out in 2013. So an interesting film, Shane Black coming in, and it was not right after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Steve. There's like eight years between Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and this movie, so not really riding the wave of it, although it had become a bit of a, um, how can I say, guilty pleasure or an underground hit for a lot of people. Certainly his uh, chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. was very clear to see in that movie as he directed him so well. That was He was really instrumental in the reawakening or the rebirth of the renaissance of Robert Downey Jr., uh, which led to him becoming Iron Man in 2008. So um, your thoughts on, on all of this and on this movie overall and uh, where it sits with you uh, in your mind? I'm going to give you a very strange answer to that question. Okay. I don't know. No. I, uh, it was so okay. funny watching it. You know, I'm, I'm taking notes as I'm going along. Not not notes like we do for the regular show, but just sort yeah. of my impressions. And there were moments in it that I wrote, I really like this movie. Mm. I'm surprisingly enjoying this movie. And then moments that I wrote, this is terrible. This is stupid. This is. And so like, I, and then, you know, that was a couple of days ago. And then I was yeah. thinking about it again today going how do I feel about this film? It certainly is not in the best of the MCU. Okay. It definitely isn't in the worst of the MCU for me. It's kind yeah. of in the middle, but yeah. it is so uneven. And, 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 you know, Robert Downey Jr. is so damn charming. He's charming every second he's on screen, but that in and of itself isn't enough to make a movie. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the end of this conversation, I will have a better <laughs> answer for you. What is might, your feeling about this film? We might be in a brief encounter situation. We will find out by the end yeah. of, the, of this uh, episode. How you feel about it? Yeah, revisiting it again, it just reaffirmed how much I like this movie. I really do. Yes, I totally wrote down problem situations for us to discuss as we go along here on this live show. But overall, it is the charm of Robert Downey Jr. that carries us through the movie. I like the voiceover aspect of it all, which kind of anchored you throughout the film. You're rechecking in with that voiceover occasionally. It's surprisingly... It has some surprising... Um, conversations to have in 2023 considering all the stuff that's happened since certainly there are moments where iron patriots kicking in doors it feels a little bit abrasive and aggressive and what's this all about the fact that he's called the iron patriot you know we just had a whole falcon and winter soldier series that was all about what does the shield really mean who should be captain america what is the symbolism of captain america what happens when something is co-opted by the government to essentially be an extension of the government and is a weapon used as an extension of the government what are those conversations to have uh, but also the stuff with robert downey jr or oh, sorry with tony stark dealing with ptsd this is where i think it deserves credit for opening the door to that. Does it fully explore? Does it fully do it justice for how people were talking about it back in 2013? Um, Maybe not, but I like the idea that we open the door to this possibility. And Tony is pretty incompetent through a majority of the movie and is costly being uh, caught with his pants down as, as Kirk might say, or his britches down. And, but he finds a way out. He troubleshoots these situations throughout the movie and for me i kind of like that to be honest with you but there are some things that kind of you know pull me back a little bit from fully enjoying the movie and i don't know how i feel about guy pierce who i think is a fantastic actor but i think he was saddled with a way less interesting storyline for him becoming a villain as opposed to justin hammer who i thought sam rockwell did a phenomenal job bringing that guy to life so those are basically my overall thoughts uh oh and i really kind of I still don't like the fact that they 
put Pepper in the Iron Man outfit and then had her using the extremists. I get why they did it, but maybe Gwyneth Paltrow was like, look, I'm tired of being the damsel in distress. I need to do something. But it has never sat right with me because it didn't feel organic. It feels kind of shoved in overall. So I guess those are my thoughts for the most part. Yeah. They're clearer than my thoughts are. <laughs> well, I did like this one when it came out. And I've seen it a few times. Certainly when Lily and I were doing our stereo show, we talked about it as well. Um, well, let's jump into the PTSD of it. Just to lead off, Steve, this is something you and I have certainly had conversations about mental health, about anxiety attacks, panic attacks. This is a very big part of the movie um, that Tony is dealing with this stuff. That's kind of seems kind of out of the blue uh, from what has been leading up to this moment, to these, uh, to this situation for him in the movie. But certainly has it when he is, uh, you know, ex there at the, the uh, diner or outdoor Malibu beach shop, wherever the hell he's eating. When these kids come to get the autograph from him, takes off. Jarvis is the one that tells him he's had a panic attack. And they return throughout the movie, especially with the kid in that town there in Tennessee and what he's dealing with there. And then later on uh, with the stuff with Aldrich Killian during the final um, uh, battle sequence. So. How do you feel they dealt with the PTSD? Do you like this as a different kind of approach to it? Or do you think it kind of takes away from the mystique of Tony Stark and Iron Man? Well, I certainly don't think it takes away from the mystique. Okay. I actually love the idea. I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant idea, particularly with it. Cause the thing of Tony Stark, Tony Stark is a messed up guy. You yeah. Know? Already to begin and, with. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so, and so taking that character and yeah. he does go through a traumatic experience at the battle for New York. There's no question about it. So I think it makes sense in terms of his character. Yeah. I think some of the times that they use this idea, it's pretty good. And I also think it just doesn't, a, it doesn't deliver in terms of what you could do. I mean, the idea yeah. of a superhero with superpowers or a superpowered suit having PTSD is a genuinely scary thing. Yes. You know, right. like someone because PTSD, you know, there's issues with anger. There's issues, you know, people black out, people go yeah. into, you know, return to that state of threat that yeah. existed when the trauma was caused. Yeah. And so saying, okay, we're going to do that with a guy in, you know, an Iron Man suit. Wow. That's really scary. And so I don't, but I don't think they really deliver on that element of it mm -hmm. in terms of how serious it could be. And then I really don't think they deliver on the seriousness in terms of the character of, of what his suffering is, what it's really like and how he gets out of it. And maybe it's because when I was teaching film school, I had a lot of veterans out of yeah. the Iraq, Iraq and Afghanistan, had a lot of conversations of PTSD because frequently they were trying to make films about their PTSD and their right. experience. And right. so I had a lot of these conversations about, you know, what they were going through. Not that I'm claiming to be any kind of an expert on this. Of course, I'm not. But like, I just feel I mean, there's a scene he ends up just going, Hey, I have PTSD and then has a whole speech about everything he's going through. And I'm like, that is the least dramatic way that you could deal with these things. I mean, it, it violates basic rules of, of drama of show. Don't tell of like, you needed to, you needed to have him get through it. And I don't feel that they ever do. I don't think the movie yeah. delivers on that premise in terms of going like, Oh, Tony has made progress. I don't think that yeah. it does. You yeah. Know? Just, just cause he's able to save those people out of the airplane kill um uh all this i think his name is and then go and save the president uh with pepper and with uh Rhodey, it doesn't mean that he's necessarily dealt with this no. ptsd and come to terms with it certainly the kid agitating him into ptsd states is really an interesting decision narratively in the movie but you're right it, that we don't really kind of 
come to terms with this stuff and look at it and explore it. And there's only more PTSD or more drama or trauma that's thrown on top of uh, what he's already dealing with throughout this movie. I mean, his entire Malibu compound is destroyed. He's almost drowned. Uh, Pepper's almost killed. He's almost killed. Pepper's almost killed. Uh, or he thinks Pepper has been killed. Yeah. Uh, someone comes out of his past who betrays him. Uh, and he sees a woman from his past shot to death by the man who's betrayed him. So there's a lot of trauma that is accompanying this, but it's also with quips and killing people and saying, I'm going to leave you in a pool of blood and these kinds of things that you, so it's a bit of an imbalance. And this is sometimes, I think this film is the best of Shane Black and sometimes the worst of Shane Black in terms of the rhythm of his comedy and uh, how it can kind of clash up against the stakes as opposed to seamlessly weave in to the stakes of the movie so yeah i would agree with you on that i think in 2020 this, you know what struck me steve and, and i was going to bring something later but i'll say this now and kind of kept keep uh ringing that bell throughout is that i think this would have been an excellent limited series i think a mm. six to eight episode limited series where you're exploring the arc of a superhero dealing with ptsd and what that does to him does he want to be a hero anymore? Is it worth it? Is he afraid to put the suit on? What does he feel when he looks at the suit? All these things can come to bear. How does Pepper deal? Because even even the way it's written, it's not it's not Pepper Potts' fault or Gwyneth Paltrow's fault. The way it's written that she reacts so negatively to his PTSD because her life is threatened by this Iron Man suit that comes to life because he's sleeping and has this dream. She just storms off and goes, I'm going to sleep downstairs. Rather than... Yeah. Having the conversation with him and being like, what happened for you? What's going on? You know, these kinds of things. I think we'd be well, different I, in 2023. Well, I, I think that's you make a fantastic point because PTSD is a family disease. Oh, it's yeah. A disease 100%. that yeah. you had to deal with within relationships. Yeah. And because the first sequence of PT, you know, where we're kind of seeing his PTSD is with Jarvis. Yeah. And the next sequence is with Rhodey. Yes. And the third sequence is with Paltrow and with Pepper, and she walks out on him. Yeah, she walks out. We're on not him. doing that. Is that if she had been desperately trying to help him and right. watch and, and like make those all Pepper scenes, you know what I mean? Make it right. about them and their relationship. And, and you know, that that would really work, you know, but but that's not really what they do. And, and I think, too, you, you know, you, also the point you made about the, the final sequence, if anything, that would give him more PTSD. Right. Oh, you 100%. And so, like, they they didn't go, what is the PTSD choice that he has been making? And how does he make a different choice in the movie? That never really happens. And there's the moment where the kid goes, well, why don't you build something? You know, and it's treated Mm -hmm. as this sort of aha moment. Yeah. And it's like, that's all he's been doing. Building things has been his way to, you know, has been his reaction to the PTSD and not face the PTSD. So you're just saying, just keep doing the same thing. It literally is the, you know, repeat the same action and expect different results is the definition of insanity. Yeah. It's literally in the definition of insanity at that moment. And it's being treated as a revelation, you know? Yeah. It's a great point you bring up, Steve, because you wonder, uh, maybe Shane Black isn't the guy to write about PTSD because this is like a service level approach to it. This isn't, when you bring up a concept like this, and especially when you attach it to a premise or a plot, as you mentioned earlier with your own personal experience, where veterans uh, of, of uh, or, or former combat veterans are a part of a project that is the main villainous aspect of this movie, there was a way to maybe tie that exactly. in, maybe a conversation with Tony 
and some of these veterans. Maybe he hears some of their stories on those videos and he hears their experiences with PTSD. We get little clips, but an extended sequence where he is listening to their stories, relating it to what he's experiencing. Then there's a little bit more of an impetus to stop this from happening. But he essentially kills all these former soldiers with PTSD through his Iron Man suits in the final uh, battle instead of having a moment where he stops them, restrains them, and talks to them about what they're experiencing. Gets them out of the PTSD because the extremist is just um, uh, magnifying it uh, and maybe finding a way to break through, you know, and I think that would have well, been a much more satisfying situation. Maybe in employing one of them to go with him uh, and make this change and help him figure out who these other people are. Uh, if it had been a series, you could have had that uh, down the road, you know, so... Well and it points to it really points to why Guy Pierce is not a good villain. Yeah. In this yeah, movie. Yeah. And 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 obviously we're going to get to the Ben Kingsley of it all because yeah. that's a whole other conversation but <laughs> but so you have the I never read any of the extremist comics. I don't know what they're about. I don't know the theme. So so okay. I, I I'm not relating to any of that. But right, to right. me the idea that you have soldiers who have gone through trauma who are wounded yeah. and then they have this thing that gives them superpowers but they can lose control of it in terms of anger right and in terms of emotion well that's a perfect ptsd metaphor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and so then you have the character and, and by the way i think guy pierce as the uh guy the handicapped guy at the beginning of the movie yeah is a it puts in a way better performance than he does as the smooth guy later on yeah but his character arc isn't connected to this PTSD thing at all. He right. has nothing to do with it. And so and in classic, what, what Marvel and Stanley and Jack Kirby did so well mm -hmm. is to set up antagonists that have linkages with the people they're fighting. So Magneto right. and Professor X, yes. they're two sides of the same coin. Dr. Doom and Mr. Fantastic is that there was an opportunity to have a bad guy with PTSD yeah. that related and his reaction to his trauma was to become a bad guy. That that would have been, and then extremists and the soldiers he's working with, and all of those things yeah. would link up to the emotional thing that Tony's going through. Yeah. But they're all kind of the, the, you kind of introduce little bits of these elements, but they're not working all together. Even though individual moments of them, this this is why I'm so yeah. mixed about the movie. Their individual moments was like that was really fun, that was really great. Yeah, but as a whole, it doesn't all fit. You know, I also think this is an issue. And let's move on to that. Let's move on to Aldrich Killian and. Um... And Rebecca Hall's character, uh, this is an issue with the with the film, I think, as well, is this how it sets up its um, its villains in the film and their connection. Right. Maya Hansen, that's who Rebecca Hall is playing. I, I wonder, you know, having a red blooded American male in Shane Black. What was the approach of having Maya Hansen? I don't see the logic in having Maya Hansen other than to create or. Um, how can I say this? Uh, burnish the res the Lothario resume of Tony Stark. You could have just adjusted the extremist storyline that it was him who wanted to pitch it. It was him who's been working on it, and it was him who was left out. And it couldn't have, it didn't have to be Rebecca Hall. Could have been any woman that he was interested in, and just went up to bed to sleep with and whatever. And he found this stuff, and then Aldrich Killian explained all this stuff later, and became who he became. So. It could have still worked without Rebecca Hall. I don't know what Maya Hansen's role in all of this is other than to do the twist thing, which we have two twists in the movie, because she really doesn't serve that much of a purpose. She goes along with Tony. She shows him the extremist thing. We see it affect 
happy and then she ends up sleeping with him he designs you know writes the formula on the back of the card there to help her out a little bit and then she shows up right as aldrich right as he's given his address to the mandarin and she's essentially trying to recruit tony possibly that's her intention we find out later to, to get him aboard on this project what 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 would possibly convince you uh to go to an a avenger's house and be like hey man can you come help me do this evil thing with this guy who i know is behind the Mandarin. It just seems so illogical. And then at the and then the twist that she's part of it, and then randomly turning back uh, on Alder, so doing a double cross in a way. It just all of it doesn't make sex and sense, and it leads to her getting shot in the stomach and dying. So it just seems like a very useless character. And I think Rebecca Hall is a fantastic actress, but like with Aldrich and Maya, they just seem like useless characters overall and one note-ish as opposed to the possibility of having much more depth especially when you cast two incredible actors like guy pierce and rebecca hall is so is your opinion that yeah. her motivation for being a bad guy is what's her motivation for being a bad guy let me it, ask that what question she tells pepper right she's sitting there she's like well you go in wide-eyed in science and you never think it's going to do this but then you need the money you need the research you like the ego kicks in that was essentially why she became a bad guy because she had these ideas here was a man with money. I don't know how Aldrich found her again, but maybe she called and used him. Maybe she, you know, whatever she did to convince him to give her money or to be part of this whole thing. And so the project kept going. Uh, and so, but when she realized, like they, like she says, we've got to launch the product next year. We need Tony. She maybe she realized independent of Aldrich that she needed Tony. So she went and did this thing. So it doesn't make any sense other than the desire to launch a product. But what's the point? Why do you make this product? What was your motivation for this product? What kind of inspired you to make And What are you trying to do with this product? A villain is much more interesting when they're a misguided person. Yeah. Uh, you know, when they've got levels to it, like we see with the vice president later, so well played by Jose Ferrer when he's, or Miguel Ferrer, rather, when he, when we find out, oh, it's because of his daughter is missing a leg. Now, do I sacrifice the whole country for his daughter missing a leg? I think that's a bit much, but you can understand why a father might want to take that chance or that opportunity to help their child because they love their child so much. So that's logical. That makes sense. But there's nothing like that with Maya Hansen. And Aldrich is all about ego, clearly, because he was left on that rooftop by himself, but, by uh, by Tony. So so that's what makes it all so thin. It's yeah. like if we had spent like I think she I believe I have the way to heal people with missing limbs and I make moral sacrifices in order to accomplish that goal, that's a totally great motivation, but right? we don't spend enough time yeah. with her to see that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, like if, 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 for instance, if in the, in the opening, in the scene with Tony, she, she wanted, she, she, you saw her desperation or you saw her honesty or you saw her passion in a way right. Right. and then see her coming up against nothing, you know, maybe right. that would help us. A little bit and it's you know there are hints that that's there but it's kind of it's told to us it's not shown to us and as right. far as uh killing is concerned look i think t t you know the fact that tony stark is a dick is well documented yeah, and him yeah. telling him to telling a, a handicapped guy to meet me on the roof in the middle of switzerland in the winter is a real dick move yeah. and clearly that's upsetting yeah. that is a shitty motivation for a supervillain. we're not yeah. A lot of people compare it to syndrome uh, from the right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, but, but, yeah. I mean, it's so it, okay, and therefore I'm going to take over the world because some <laughs> dude was a dick to me. It's like 
That's just Eddie? not a great motivation. And <laughs> I, and Eddie? I also go to yeah. Go ahead. Go sorry, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> just just with him. There's the scene with him and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Are we supposed to believe that she is kind of attracted to him in that I, scene? I think so because she makes when he kisses her on the cheek, her face goes. Yep. You know that's the move. That's the move when uh, when a woman moves her face close to you after you've kissed her on the cheek, instead of pulling away. That's a move that possibly she might be interested. That's I, I I don't think Shane Black would have done a close-up of that if it wasn't meant to introduce Aldridge as a potential romantic rival to Tony and having Tony be insensitive to her, having Tony, you know, like uh, have his Iron Man suit up there to greet her instead of himself, which is very uh, Watchmen-like with Dr. Manhattan and Silk Spectre. So you have that uh, element there. So, But it isn't really explored. And I think, Steve... The more you talk about this, I think that's the the niggling issue for me in the back is that these ideas are really great. They're just not fully explored. Right. And you're asking the audience to do all the heavy lifting to create the scenarios of why this would happen rather than taking us and spending a little more time with these characters outside of Tony so we can develop them. Maybe they felt because Iron Man 2 wasn't that well received that that wasn't the way to go because the Iron Man 2 spends a lot of time on Mickey Rourke and his yeah. motivation and why he's doing the things that he's doing and what he's building with Justin Hammer. There isn't that much time spelled with, uh, spent with Aldrich seeing the stages. Like if we saw flashbacks of him, like just, you know, uh, Maya reaching out to him in desperation because everyone's turning down her thing or doesn't want to work on it. Aldrich is like willing to take a chance on this stuff to work together and then he becomes a subject for this. And she may be resisting it, resisting it. But he's like, no, it's got to work on me. I don't want to give it to other people if it doesn't work on me. Because he secretly wants to cure himself of what he's of the handicap that he has. Um, and so that could give you a little more motivation of to, or a little more understanding of why both of them are motivated to do the things that they are doing. Um, it's like a nutty professor, right? He's a real dick when he loses all that weight and becomes buddy love. Because he no longer feels empathy for anybody because yep. he's top of the world. But the real Sherman Klump cares about people. And when he's in the larger state, he's much more of an interesting, dare I say, attractive guy because of that than Buddy Love is. And so that could have been something they explored is how he changes because of what the extremist does to his body and how he becomes more capable. And that allows Maya to maybe have second thoughts that are bubbling underneath that we could have understood why she turned back on Aldrich at the end and helped and tried to help Tony. Totally agree. May, may I do some rewriting? I've, <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been thinking and you're sure. sparking a lot of ideas in my head. So the, the first thing I think the uh, him, her being attracted to him doesn't work at all. No, it's right. like, first of all, I can see that he's a phony, you know, pu putting this thing. I mean, if I can see it, the whole thing of Pepper Potts is she's supposed to be a totally down to earth, no bullshit sort of character. Intelligent. intelligent. Yeah, intelligent, practical, down to earth. And if she could resist Tony's bullshit charm yeah. for so right. long, right. the idea that she would be attracted by some other guy who's doing like a poor imitation of Tony's bullshit yeah, charms, yeah. there's just no way that works. And so, and the other thing I would do and is- Can I throw in something real quick? She absolutely. turns him down when he tries to butter her up. She says, right. the answer is no, Aldrich. The answer is no. Yeah. Right? So she's already sensing there's something off with this guy. So why would she indulge in a extra turn towards him after the kiss? So good point, Steve. 
So, well, and what would make it so much better is if she had a reason to actually be drawn to him. And the way you would do it is make him the opposite of Tony. Mm. And, and so here's my rewrite is that first of all, she is a person, but one of the things you should always do when you're writing a script is you check in with their characters. Where, right. where is this character emotionally? Well, where is Pepper Potts emotionally at this moment? Where she should be is the man I love is suffering from PTSD. My relationship is falling apart. I'm in a desperate situation. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's where she should be emotionally, but she right. isn't. And so then you go, okay, you have this guy whose company is healing wounded war victims, mm -hmm. many of whom are suffering from PTSD. If he came in and instead of being the charming Tony Stark wannabe, if he came in as like, I have been through my own trauma, I'm yeah. working with men with trauma, and came in as the nicest, kindest, most sensitive, and was giving her attention in the way that she needed because of all the right. suffering she's going through, right. well, then she would be drawn to him. And if she is drawn to him, everything in the movie becomes more interesting. Yeah, you know, and you can still it, it, have the twist, and the twist would work absolutely. much more effectively. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, how does she end up in his clutches? Well, she ends up in his clutches because she thinks he's a good guy. Yeah, you know. Right, right, right. Who could help and, Tony? Maybe. And and what would be the shame if she was like saying something like, "Well, I'd like to explore this more. I'd like to maybe I could consider this as a possibility." You know, Tony's always running around and saving the galaxy. Who is saving Tony? I'd like to be able to save us if a situation arises. And that way it makes more sense if she goes right. to a place where she may try the extremists herself to maybe see if that will help her because it looks like everyone's fine and they seem to be having these powers or something. So it could have been something like that. I'm not saying that she would have, but it could have been explored as a possibility as opposed to let's give her the Iron Man outfit when the Malibu thing has fallen apart and let's, you know, let's give her extra, let's torture her for Tony to try to save her type thing. Which, these tropes were real easy tropes. And look, Shane's a great writer when he, when he oh, writes yeah. great, but some of these tropes were so easy. You know, I was a handicapped guy that you made fun of and now I want vengeance. Um, you know, I'm going to take your girlfriend and that's your punishment and torture you with it. It's all stuff we've seen. I don't know, since the 1920s uh, for Shakespeare, since Shakespeare probably. So it just, it just is, <laughs> Yeah, just didn't have more. You would have hoped for more ingenuity for sure. Here, here's yeah. one more. I got one more rewrite. Sure, Sorry. Sure, sure. So, so in general, structure with dealing with trauma, which isn't realistic in terms of how we really deal with trauma, but yeah, you got to take someone to their bottom, right? Right. Someone has to hit exactly. bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so here's what I think you should what they should have done. Okay. Is that Pepper Potts loses a limb in the attack on the Malibu house? Ooh, shit. So Tony called in this attack on his house that results in Pepper Onos being killed and losing a limb. That's and so he goes to, point. he goes to Killian to beg Killian to help her right. because of his research, not knowing Killian is the bad guy. And right, that's how right. she ends up with the extremists. That's a great point. And that's, that's the bottom Tony has to find his way out of. And that's the bottom line. Uh, Cause uh, Steve Moore said so. I, I like that idea. A hundred percent. I see Don Mattingly in the chat, <laughs> Donnie baseball, uh, doing some great, uh, putting some great stuff in, but he is claiming that he doesn't think Pepper was attracted to him, was rather just flustered by him. But I want to play the clip. I've got the clip up. I want to see if I can uh, mm. share it here and we can take a look at it together. And uh, to me, I think this is uh, absolutely him or her having a, a, a little bit of an interest in him. And yeah, they're saying goodbye and all this. And this is the moment right here, right? This is the kiss. Look at the way she lingers with the nose. That yep. is not 
That is not someone that doesn't, eh, you know, that is an interest. Okay. That is yep. an interest. She allows him to kiss his cheek. And then, which, and I get as a woman of power, you've got, but she lingers there, possibly, possibly open for a, a, a mouth kiss. Possibly. I'm not saying she was, I'm saying it's possible, but you don't linger there. You don't turn to the person and have the nose brush against the cheek. Those are all flirty, uh, sensual, little, little mini sensual moments. That would work. Now, some women might be watching and going, well, you don't know what it's like to deal with men in power. You kind of have to humor them in certain moments. I'm not discounting that at all. But in that moment, her turning towards him is different than you indulging a, a, cheek, a kiss on the cheek just to get this guy out of your system or get out of your face, rather. So well, there, there's definitely a connection there. I mean, I think this is where you as an actor, knowing yeah. that actor move, what that means, and me as an editor, I don't put that shot in the movie. <laughs> I don't pick that take. Unless I want to sit, that's saying she might be a little yeah. attracted to him. Yeah. That's why it's there. Right. Exactly. And it's used negatively, right? Because uh, Tony's the one ignoring her. Tony's the one that's not around. Yet Tony is the one that tries to guilt her about it later after he's she's come home and he's eaten without her on date night. He greets her with his suit while he's down there doing pull-ups. So it doesn't make sense that you would use it in this way that would be um, how can a sexist or misogynistic? It just doesn't make sense, or downright disrespectful to your partner. Uh, you, for God's sake, you know what I realize is hard about the PTSD thing. Yeah, yeah, is that Tony's normal level of behavior. Tony at his best yeah, is yeah. still an asshole. Yes, you know what I mean. Right, sure, like In, and so yeah, selfish. Yeah. So with PTSD, you had to have him do things that were different from his yeah. normal act, and like the things like eating the meal or sending the 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 suit up to greet her rather than going up himself. That's actually normal asshole things Tony Stark would do. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? They're yeah. not because there needed to be a moment where Pepper's like, no, something is wrong. We have to deal with this like that. That family moment just yeah. isn't in the movie, you know? Yeah. yeah. Agreed. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game. Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Uh, I like Bruce saying, I don't, I didn't like how Rebecca Hall's uh, Maya character was killed so subtly in the film. Apparently in one script draft, she was the film's villain. I understand why Jessica Chain pa Chastain passed on the role, man, Jessica Chastain, you could have made her Aldrich Killian change yeah. the name a little bit and combined both had her be the young woman who has uh, an interest in Tony 
They go back to his room or her room. She wants to show him the stuff and she shows him the stuff, but he's also got this magnetic charm. They sleep together, but then he doesn't call her back or ghosts her. And then she has this thing that she's building and she wants to lure Tony in some way to help her with Project Extremist because they've hit some kind of wall 13 years later. That would make a lot more sense. And then the twist happens there. So I, I love that. that. And, and, and building yeah. on that, how about if she is she wants to talk science with Tony Stark? Right. He pretends interest in the science stuff in right. order to sleep with her right. and then totally ghosts her because he and showing he was never interested in the science at all. That's a good right. motivation for a villain that we haven't seen. Right. And yeah, get rid of just don't have an extra character if you don't need it. I mean, I, yeah, just I don't need, understand her in the movie. Like, I don't understand the point. And again, I think Rebecca Hall is a phenomenal actress, so she did what she could with it. Uh, but it just doesn't doesn't fit. Uh, let's move on to oh, actually, let's hit some of these super chats that have come through, Steve. I want to give some love to our people who are watching us. And thanks for the 45 of you who are watching us live right now. Please make sure you hit a like on this video. Subscribe to the channel down below. If you're watching later, hit a like, subscribe, and leave a comment. What are your thoughts about what we're what we've talked about so far? And you know, by the end of the episode, what your thoughts are for the rest of the episode. Uh, Wiley Toss says, Hey guys, just want to say I've listened to the remains of the day episode like seven times. Before even seeing the movie, I watched it last week, and I will say the Cinephiles episode is better than the movie. Wow. <laughs> you listen, Wiley, you listened to it seven times seven before times. seeing the movie? Wow. I appreciate that, Wiley. I, I, what I wonder, this is where I wish we had, I, I know there are probably better uses for time machines, but I <laughs> wish Wiley could go back and watch it first without, and yeah. then see what his reaction was, because having listened to our episode, everything was ruined, yeah, you we, know, by the time you the saw the movie. movie. Yeah, exactly. You know, so because the, the performances are in that movie. I like that episode of ours too. I think those were good episodes. I agree. But the but man, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson in that movie are astounding. To yeah, hundred percent astounding. Uh J and B says, uh, hey guys, thanks for the live show. Always look forward to these. Oh, thanks, J and B. Very thank good. you, J and B. We appreciate it. Oh, sorry, and I called him Don Mattingly. It's Dave Mattingly. Sorry, I, I, I defaulted to my Yankees uh, love. I apologize, Dave. Dave. <laughs> Um, let's see here. Let's, uh, let's move on to, let's move on to the big one. Let's move on to the Mandarin. Oh, so this was, this is a massive situation here. And, we, uh, and uh, certainly the MCU has course corrected, uh, the Mandarin situation in Shang-Chi, but certainly in 2013, when this happened, this was a massive, uh, um, debate online and debate amongst, uh, nerds and geeks and Marvel people and comic book superhero film lovers, this idea that, the Mandarin was actually a lie, that it was an actor named Tever Slattery. And Ben Kingsley, by the way, great as the Mandarin, chilling as the Mandarin, and then hilariously perfect as Trevor Slattery. But a lot of people like this. A lot of people didn't. I know for me, I admired the balls of making this kind of a switch in the show and or in the film. And certainly there were issues around the Mandarin that they tried to skirt around by taking this approach to it, but they also undercut one of the biggest villains at the time in the uh, Iron Man universe in the comic books with the Mandarin. A lot of people felt there was a, a racial stereotype that the, the way he talked, the way he looked, the way he was presented, the things that he did was of a bygone era of racism in terms of how they approached an, uh, an Asian character. So, and, uh, look, Ben Kingsley is, is part Indian, so he is Asian by definition. Uh, but they didn't go with a, you know, with a typically what you would consider to be Asian fully in, in, in this in this casting. And they, of course, corrected it, as I said, in Shang-Chi. But 
What did you think about Ben Kingsley's performance and about the twist here with the Mandarin and, and what was going on with the Mandarin first and then afterwards? So I think there are multiple problems that lead to this <laughs> bizarre thing. The first okay. problem is the one you already mentioned, which is I think Ben Kingsley is actually too good an actor to, to pull uh, the switch with because yeah. he is so fucking compelling as the Mandarin. He is, right? You're, it's not like he's pretty good. It's like, oh my God, this villain is terrifying. Yeah. And so, and, and interesting and powerful and fantastic in all sorts of ways. Yeah. And so, saying this is a fake, A, it doesn't, the Trevor stuff, and, and he's brilliant as Trevor too. He's I mean, so Ben Kingsley is fucking brilliant. But like, I don't believe that Trevor would, would do this and not understand what was going on around him. Even though I understand he's kind of dumb. I'm totally sold on the Ben Kingsley performance as the Mandarin. So when you take it away, I'm bummed. Yeah. And Guy Pierce's villain is weak. Yeah. Like in order, in order for this to work, the Killian, what's his name? Uh, uh, Killian. Aldridge Killian. Yeah. Aldridge Killian had to be actually scarier than the version of the Mandarin played by Ben Kingsley. That's yeah. the only way it works. What ends up happening is you have a great villain mm. who becomes an, gets replaced by an average villain, you know? And the other thing too is like, yes, Ben Kingsley is Asian. The Mandarin is Chinese. Like, right, you know, right. there's a long way from India to China. Right. Fair point to the China. You know, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, when I watch it, I think you, I think you nailed it perfectly, Steve. He's so good as the Mandarin, you almost feel as an audience like, oh, we've been robbed of this really cool and interesting villain. Yeah. And you're replaced by a dude who want, simply wanted to fix his body parts and wants to run the world by having the president in his pocket, which would be uh, Miguel Ferrer after he killed the, uh, uh, the current president, and then the fake terrorism campaign, uh, which you find out isn't really a terrorism campaign. It was their fuck-ups uh, with, with building the extremist project. So every bomb that supposedly went off was... Uh, how can I say it was um, uh, covered up as a bombing of a, as a terrorist bombing, which it wasn't. So it's very, very weird. interesting stuff. Yeah. I, I don't I, like, I, I had to go back and think about like, wait, what was the plot again? Because yeah. the Chinese theater explosion, that's not supposed to be an explosion. That was an accident. Right. Hmm. So yeah, the idea no, it was all, it's all an accident. Every single blow up is an accident. Yeah. So you're having these accidental explosions and then you create an actor to create a fake super villain to cover up the things but then you're actually gonna and all the taking out the president and all all that yeah. it's all really convoluted and 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 not that i suddenly you know plot isn't always that important in a marvel movie like what was exactly was loki doing with the tesseract and how was that all supposed to work you know it doesn't care because we're watching the avengers you know and that's what we care about like so it's but i still <laughs> going like what's this over here <laughs> like what's what in terms of the tesseract oh yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Steve. And I listen. I, 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 I'm just like, uh, to me, it's more about that. I just enjoy Ben Kingsley's performance on both sides of the character. Yeah. So, uh, but I think what you said is, I'll reiterate this: what you said about the fact that that came to me as I was watching it this time around was like, ah, shit, man, he's so good at this. Why he's great? I, I kind of don't like that they made the switch now, even though it leads to a very hilarious scene. Which this is where Shane Black can really shine when he gets the comedy down right. I mean, Ben Kingsley is so perfect as Trevor Slattery in the back and forth with Robert. I mean, even 
with uh, sorry with Tony, even like volunteering that he did terrible things on the street because of his drug addiction that no man should do. So veering into that R territory a little bit, just playfully making a poop joke about how his poop smells or whatever. Don't go in the bathroom for 20 minutes. Um, but then somehow he's able to fool this special forces veteran that he didn't tell Tony anything. And so it's just like these things, these little things, these little suspensions of disbelief in certain moments to me, I think were problematic. If you were going to make a great Iron Man film, these are the things that trip you up in trying to get there. And I think believing that Trevor didn't say a word to Tony when he'd been in there for so long. How do they not have cameras in that room? How do they not have access to the things that are being said? Like just all of it just makes a little, little, little to no sense in, in that situation. But it's such a good Trevor Slattery. And he came back in Shang-Chi, ironically. Uh, He's and we great Shang-Chi. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where, and, and I don't know this came from an executive or how this these things, are, but sometimes, yeah. you know, you hand a writer a laundry list of like, we want Pepper in the Iron Man suit. We want Pepper to get superpowers. Yeah. We want... Uh, we want to introduce a, we, the Iron Patriot. We want to have the Mandarin and have it be fake. And we want, and they just hear, yeah. make all that stuff happen. Yeah. And it just doesn't all hang together, you know? I, th I think da da um, uh, Bruce makes ex another excellent point here. In my opinion, the Mandarin reveal reminded me of Luke's lightsaber toss. I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah. That I think that's totally fair. Totally correlative, right? Because you are. you are handed a character that you think is going to be this or that, and then it's completely thrown away. Um, and then you're left with this feeling of like, well, what is, what, what was the point of all that? You know? So yeah. The, the, there's a weird thing in writing mm -hmm. where on the one hand, frequently your job is not to give the audience what they want. The audience right, wants right. Romeo and Juliet to live happily ever after. And, and Shakespeare says, no, you're not going to get that because this is a tragedy and that, and I'm in charge. Sorry. <laughs> and there's sometimes, and I remember seeing it the first, it was in film school when I was in film school and someone made a film. And at the end of the film, it was like an elderly couple who fell in love and then they both died. Oof. And I went, this is not what the movie is supposed to be. Your movie yeah. is this, this ending is the wrong ending. It's not just that it was sad and not happy is that it was wrong. Luke throwing that lightsaber away is wrong. Yeah. Like it just, it's like, look, I understand what you're trying to do. And it seemed like a cool idea. And I understand, but it's like, look, I've invested a ton in that character mm -hmm. and that action is antithetical to who that character is in my opinion. Yeah. And so, and so it just throws me out of the movie. I've invested in the Mandarin. I really yeah. was like compelled by him and you betrayed me. The film betrayed me, not the character. You know what I mean? It was like, Oh, I felt betrayed. Now I love, I love the, the actor character. He's awesome. And I'm glad that we have him, but they needed, you know what they needed to do? They needed to, there needed to be a plant of someone going this Mandarin thing. This just doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? There needed yeah. to be a detective element of something doesn't ring true. Something is not yeah. right here and that we're looking to figure out what's not right. And then we discover that what is not right is that this isn't the, the plot is something very different from what we thought it was. Yeah. They don't really do that, you know? And how can Tony boost the signal and find that it's coming out of Miami? But we have like bureaus of, of investigative agencies in the United States and they can't figure out where the signal is coming from for the Mandarin. So it's just like little things like that that you are asked to believe that are lapses in logic. Um, but let's move to some positive stuff, at least in my opinion, Steve. I think the action sequences are incredible here. I think they're very, really good. Yeah, very well directed. Certainly when the Mandarin, uh, or well, sorry, when Aldrich Killian sends his people to attack and destroy 
Tony's Malibu home is a real, really well shot in my opinion. And the, the ups and downs emotionally, as you go through that whole sequence, the sequence on the plane, when all, when he goes up in there and all those people are thrown out and he ends up doing the barrel. I like that one a lot. I think that's really cool. And then the final sequence there by the port where all that is happening with all the multiple Iron Man suits showing up and even getting the Hulkbuster one teased uh, for us to, uh, for the future. So, So just overall, I thought the action sequences, Shane did a wonderful job directing those. I, I think in general they're really good. I, first of all, I think Robert Downey Jr., all of the movements he's figured out to summon different parts of the Iron Man suit, I think he does a really good job with all those movements. I think mm-hmm. there's a nice mix of comedy in, within the action sequence. I think it's so, so funny. I think the Tony James Bond sequence where he uses all his gadgets to infiltrate the whatever oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. So So I think on the one hand, it's a really good sequence. On the other hand, I think it's totally out of character. Mm. It does not make sense that Tony Stark should be able to do this stuff for me. Like, I don't think that's who Tony Stark is, but I think it's a really well done sequence. I also kind of go like, man, if you had all these Iron Man suits, why weren't they being used all the other times you could have used them throughout this movie? And even at the end, they, they blow up like 20 extra Iron Man suits when he could have really used one when he was fighting Killian. Yeah. You know, that there's there's some stuff in there where it doesn't quite make sense. But I agree with you. I think the sequences are really good. Yeah, that should have been a roadie sequence where he mm. breaks into the thing in the facility and takes people out. But they made it a, a, a Tony Stark sequence. And this is the thing when I when I watch uh, Marvel ever since the first Iron Man is that there was such a fantastic opportunity that was lost when they recast uh, Terrence Howard. Re- yeah, recast Terrence Howard and replaced him with Don Cheadle. Because the Terrence Howard from the first movie wasn't going to take any shit from Tony, wasn't going to be the butt of Tony's jokes. And I think in retrospect now, I think we lost a really rich back and forth between two equally strong characters in different ways, especially one being black and one being white. There was a way to create a really strong relationship between them. But the way it's done with with Tony Stark and uh, with Don Cheadle and, and Robert Downey Jr., he is definitely the submissive in comparison to Tony's dominant. And I it, there could have been a real equal situation so that if Terrence Howard is the one that's breaking into the facility or has somehow gotten, you know, gotten uh, taken out of the Iron Patriot armor or it's been stolen, he's got to break into the facility to find out what's going on and try to save Tony, right? At the meantime, meantime, Tony's trying to save himself. So uh, it could be Rhodey who goes through all these steps and then shows up and Tony's kind of figured it out and gotten the suit, got the things to come and be on his hands so he could kill those two security guards. Very funny back and forth between those guys, by the way. Uh, and all of that so that they are equal. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think there is a, there's been a lot lost in... And, and look, Don Cheadle's a badass when he wants to be a badass, certainly an out-of-sight devil in a blue dress, when they let him be a badass. But I think in this situation, this was Hollywood ego or... Feige or whoever was involved deciding and saying, no, 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 we need a roadie who's going to be kind of lower or lesser in status so we can elevate the status of Tony Stark. And I think that was a mistake now. And it, and it comes through in certain moments of the movie where um, roadie is the butt of the joke. And I don't like that roadie is the butt of the joke, to be honest. So I have lots of thoughts on this. Okay. And and, I, and I'm trying to figure out how to put them in some kind of order. The, the first thing that occurs to me, first of all, I think those are both really good actors. Terrence yes, Howard they and are. John Cheadle. I, I think, but, but I think one of the differences is, is that Terrence Howard is more like Robert Downey Jr. in the sense that he's so charismatic and yeah. interesting. 
that even with a script that is lesser than or with things that are kind of ill-defined, he's going to be really interesting. Whereas I think Don Cheadle is is a fantastic actor with fantastic material. He's not like a he doesn't have that movie star kind of thing where you're just fascinated by him wherever he is. If you give him a great script, he will act the fucking shit out of that thing. Yeah, yeah. But he's not going to create. And I think that, and the thing that I think happened is it, it really has to, I don't think they know who Rhodey is. And I mm-hmm. really have a problem with, he, not only does Tony pick on him, but the government picks on him. Yes. That everybody's just kind of, he's serving whatever purpose the movie and needs him to serve or the government needs him to serve. And then Tony makes fun of him and like, well, who the fuck is this guy? They haven't defined it. And that's why when it was Terrence Howard, he had a more defined character than I think they do. It's just like, okay, you've called him the iron Patriot. Well, what does that mean? The change in the name. And then what does Rhodey think about what's happening? You know? And again, also because if this movie is about PTSD, well, Rhodey's in the military. He served with people who have PTSD. Right. He could he could have been involved in that story in a way other than just kind of going, "Hey, man, you know, you okay?" Yeah. or whatever. He, it's like you don't think he would have recognized that Tony was having a panic attack or anxiety attack because of his yeah. exposure to soldiers who had PTSD. That's an excellent point, Steve. Yeah, in that well, moment outside the um, wherever they were eating there, that beach well, shop or whatever. Yeah, and how is he navigating his relate? I mean, like when you have Captain America who, you know, works for the government, yeah. you have Steve Rogers navigating his relationship between the good and the bad of America. Yeah. Well, Rhodey can be the same kind of character. I'm in the military. Yeah. There are things the military does that I don't agree with. How do I, how do I navigate that? How do I navigate? Mm-hmm. But they just, he just doesn't have a character. They don't have a story for him yeah. ever. I think know? sometimes they drop the ball in these situations with certain characters. And certainly with Rhodey, I think, Steve, you make an excellent point. This idea of he could have been a really interesting character for us to have our own feelings and thoughts about because he could be a guy who sees some of the mistakes of the way the government uses the military, sees some of the issues that the military has at times being a bit too gung-ho rather than being more cautious in certain situations. But he still believes that the military is necessary. So right. this high, this thing where you have the come, whereas Steve was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. Rhodey could have been, Rhodey could have served as this person who's the go-between between both, but a understand, pushing back on the military when he has to, and then going along with it when he agrees with it, pushing back on Tony or, or the Avengers when he has to, but going along with it because he sees that there's a greater good. So there could have been a much more nuanced, interesting, and complex character made out of Rhodes uh, if they had if they had stayed with Terrence Howard, and again, nothing as Don Cheadle. I just think Don knows. Look, I'm I'm showing up. I'm saying the lines. Yeah, I'll invest a little bit, but I'm making my money. There's other material where I'll get to really show what I can do. I'm just having fun here, and I get it. I'm not supposed to be the star, so let me not take away too much attention from the star. Um, and I wonder if they were like, well, well, look, we have Pepper who can go toe to toe with Tony. We can't have another person who go toe to toe with Tony, but. I think that's I think that's the problem sometimes. I know this is your profession, but I'm going to say this at times. I think it's a problem with screenwriters sometimes is they get or studios. I guess I argue executives and writers sometimes they get scared of writing equally strong characters in their pieces, and that comes through. Or executives give them notes that undercut these equally strong characters in their pieces, and that does not lead to an overall satisfying experience where you really got to experience or explore something that leveled up a, a film in a genre. Uh, so just my two cents. No, I, I agree with everything you said. And, and the thing is, is like, you know, the, what I would teach in my classes is every single scene must have conflict. 
there must yeah. be conflict. And so you always, you know, we've talked about, you know, that part of what makes Muhammad Ali one of the great boxers of all time is that he had George Freeman, George Foreman and Joe Frazier and other people to yes. fight against. Yeah. The idea that I want to elevate my star by weakening the surrounding characters is exactly the opposite of what you should do. Right. The, the reason that part of the Avengers works is that Steve Rogers can go up against Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. if, if he was intimidated by it, it wouldn't be as good. You know, yeah. like we talked about, we just did, uh, we're having more, a whole bunch of shorts coming out on our cinephile show yeah. about uh, TV. And, and I talked about some, some of my favorite shows, including Star Trek, The West Wing and MASH. All of these are shows where smart people argue. Yes. You know, is that the, if, if you just went, nobody can go up against Captain Kirk, Star Trek's not as good. You have right. to have McCoy and, and Spock going up against Kirk. That's, and then Kirk is better because yeah. he has those guys, not worse. So, yeah, absolutely 100% agree. Well, let's move on to the kid here, Harley Keener. That is the character. Um, what did you think about having uh, this uh, kid being a part of, I mean, this is almost like uh, Jeffrey Rush in Shakespeare in Love saying, where's the dog? I was promised a dog. Where's the dog in the play here? But did you like this uh, actor Ty Simpkins plays uh, Harley Keener? And of course he makes a cameo in Avengers Endgame after Tony dies at the funeral. What did you think about um, looking back on uh, watching it now in 2023, uh, his part in the movie, his back and forth with Tony and how he ends up being essential to Tony getting into a position to be able to stop Aldrich Killian. So he's a cute kid. I totally like him. I like Robert Downey Jr. with the kid. I like 85% of Tony Stark's sort of off-color sense of humor with him. You know, mm -hmm. I think it mostly works. And there's a certain point where I think, you know, it's like where he goes, why don't you build stuff? And there's a yeah. certain point in the movie where I'm like, is this kid still around? Like, why are we still with the kid? I think that was sort of my reaction. I liked it in the first scene in particular. I liked right, it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked the kid. I thought Ty, Sim Ty Simpkins did a nice job. Of course, still still acting now, Ty. And, um, uh, and it, it served its purpose for what it was, but I think there was so much more that could have been explored, as you said, with the PTSD thing and even teaching a young child about it, you know, and certainly a young child who shows him this, uh, really unsettling memorial where the shadows are on the wall of people who have died and what have you. I think there was something that could have really been explored. And even with, um, the Dale Dickey, I think is the actress's name who plays the mother of the soldier who was killed and she has the file there there was a hmm. much deeper conversation that could have happened afterwards with her and tony talking about you know how how soldiers serve and how the government treats them when they come back and the desperation they must have felt to be a part of this project because he's the one that tells her like here's the situation he didn't kill himself he was part of this project but wouldn't a mother want to know more wouldn't you feel the responsibility to tell her more so you know she does help him and throw the file under the bar or whatever but like there was more here that could have been explored in this situation in that town that I think could have been uh, a lot more that would have enriched the film a lot more, I guess. Um, by the way, the, just yeah. as you were speaking, the uh, uh, do you know the NPR podcast Embedded? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so they do, you know, they do different stories uh, and mm -hmm. they, like kind of do a deep dive on different things. Yeah. And the most recent one was about a friendly fire incident in Fallujah. Oof. And it's maybe seven or eight episodes long where the government lied about it being a friendly fire incident. Yeah. And it is an unbelievable bit of reporting where this these guys spent years 
trying to figure out exactly what happened and speak. It just, you remind me when you're talking about the mother and the file, because that's what they're doing is they're going to all the families that were involved, all the soldiers that are still there. They're talking about each one's experience and talk about, and again, this is where maybe part, this is part of why my reaction to the PTSD thing not being handled well was I just listened to this podcast where it is emotionally very powerful and very difficult as you hear these soldiers retell their stories about what happened and the regret and the pain. And, you know, these are guys that are like, I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. I'm going to have nightmares for the rest of my life. I'm going to have all the, all the things they're going to have. And it was, so anyway, I just highly recommend it. It's the mm-hmm. embedded podcast. It's not the current story they're doing, but it's the previous one that they just did. And it was right. really, really powerful. How do we feel about the Chattanooga beauty pageant and Adam Pally coming in as a cameo who just happens to be the biggest Tony Stark fan and has that tattoo of Scott Baio uh, pseudo Tony Stark on his uh, arm. Do we like the Stanley <laughs> cameo at the Chattanooga beauty pageant? And then this it's fine. <laughs> How do you feel about it? I, I, again, this is a red blooded American straight male putting in an unnecessary, beauty pageant so that he could dress up a bunch of women in bikinis to ask a question now i get it some of you guys be like jesus christ are we not allowed to have that anymore i'm not saying you're not i'm saying make it fucking work to the story and it didn't it doesn't work it's just stupid and a chance for stanley to have a cameo you could have done a different he could have been in the bar before the extremist people flipped out and you know she starts shooting up the bar he could be like covering his beer as he walks out you know there's there's things you could have done would have been a different cameo but that to me is Shane indulging and in trying to get a bunch of women to be in bathing suits for his own, uh, I don't know, his own pleasure. But, um, but the Adam Pally stuff I think was funny, but I, I would have liked it if maybe Adam Pally was the kid who was helping him instead of the kid kid. That could have mm. been interesting. Cause I thought Adam and Tony had some great chemistry uh, in that uh, van. And it would have been, cause he's just there in that moment. He uses them to get his, to get the uh, signal and the information to watch those clips. And then he's gone. We never see Adam Pally. Again, and I think it would have been much more interesting if you'd found a way to get rid of the kid and make it Adam Pally, who's a part of this whole thing, and brings him to his house and shows him all the stuff. And, and it just would have been, I think, a little bit more interesting to see that because he's so good in, in that role as well. So, yeah. you, you know what's funny that we've done now quite a bit in this conversation what's is that? we have eliminated and combined characters. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, and and, and the reason... Yeah, and that is always a good screenwriting move because it's a zero-sum game, you know, in terms of time. And, like, every character that you eliminate is more minutes you can put on Tony Stark yeah. and Pepper and what he's going through emotionally. And and also simplify and clarify this whole plot that's a little bit, you know, ponderous and hard to figure out. It's ponderous, man. <laughs> Fucking ponderous, as Casey Kasem used to say. Um, Did Casey Kasem say ponderous? Have you never seen this uh, clip? Oh my god! No. Yeah, it's a very find it if you can on on YouTube or someplace. It's it's a clip um, of an what do they call that of a um, of a hot mic moment with Casey Kasem while he's recording America's Top Forty, and there mm. is apparently a a bunch of clips out there, and someone strung them together all at once where he is just questioning why the producer is doing certain things that he's doing, and one of them is. He's coming out of a happy song and the letter they're having him read is this depressing letter from a man in prison having lost his wife while he was in prison. And he's like, what the fuck? Why are they making me read this? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's ponderous, man. Fucking ponderous. <laughs> so, so to, just to hear Casey Kasem say that kind of stuff is just hilarious. I highly recommend you all find it. All right. Um, uh, let's see. What else have I got? And oh, what did you think about the way they used Iron Patriot? I mean, we kind of touched on the fact that if it was Terrence Howard, 
he might have pushed back on this and been like, well, what are the reasons for him becoming Iron Patriot as a black man in the military, becoming the weapon of a, a uh, of the of America and then kicking down doors? I might have an issue with I might push back. Maybe there's a scene where I push back being called Iron Patriot. Um, and especially now when you hear about how Patriot is being used in our uh, current day and time, it's an interesting thing to see and seeing him. I mean, that scene where he kicks open the door at this uh, in Pakistan at this house and he stops after pointing a weapon at them, his arm of the weapon at him to take a call from Tony and have it back and forth. And then they laugh at his password and he pulls the gun back out and, and, and uh, points it at them. So it's played for humor that here is an American symbol or an extension of America kicking down doors in the Middle East to get information. It, it made me feel uncomfortable watching. I'm turning not to be in a wimp or anything. It just made me feel a little uncomfortable. Well, let it me ask, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Yeah. On two levels. Why sure. do you think the military changed his name to iron Patriot in the well, story? I, well, they put him in black they put him in red, white, and blue to kind of, uh, it's like what, uh, um, in dark Knight returns where we have Superman serving Reagan. In essence, he is the, he is the meant to intimidate the world and keep it in line as an extension of the United States military. So I think it is way, I agree with you. That's why. Yeah. And I think it's way too big a move for this movie and they don't deal with it at all. There's no, yeah. like yeah. you don't see an event that makes the military make the decision to switch a dime. In other words, you don't right. see the strategy. Like why at this moment is it important that we do this thing. Mm -hmm. And then they, that scene that you're describing, they treat it as a joke. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you can't, have a serious reason that the military is trying there and trying to intimidate the world or whatever, if that is in fact the the reasoning, yeah. and then treat it as a joke. You know what I mean? Like the, those things don't really go together. And we don't know how Rhodey feels about it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Like, right. like, yeah. and, and certainly, it's you know, tossed off in the back and forth with him and Tony yeah. at that Malibu beach uh, diner or whatever. It's tossed off. Like it's not a big deal. Yeah. Well, and so it's like, and this just goes to the, the, if you can't really make it work, don't do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's tossed off. And then Tony, even again, in another example of how Tony is the dominant and he is the submissive in this current relationship, Tony is the one that goes, Oh, you didn't question it. You didn't ask it. You didn't just went ahead with it, blah, blah, blah. And Don is the one left trying, or Rhodey is the one left trying to defend it. And I think that's where you go, what? It doesn't make sense. Rhodey Rhodes is an intelligent guy. He's been through battles and wars. He would question becoming a weapon of the United States or, or, or that kind of thing to carry out certain tasks. So for me, I just think, yeah, you're right. There should have been a scene where there's a conversation. And certainly I think they try to rectify that to a degree in Falcon and Winter Soldier with that scene between him and Sam in the first episode, which right. I think is very rich as you're watching two black men discuss who are in the military, discuss this situation, their responsibility to that red, white, and blue flag that that hasn't always been welcoming or kind to people of their skin color. So I think there's, there's a, yeah, certainly now in 2023, I think if you'd done Iron Man 3 now, it would be a completely different type of approach to a lot of the situations that are going on in the, sh in the movie, which is why I think a six-episode series would have been so fantastic to get, um, uh, to see what more we could have explored with this whole with these characters I, and stuff. Yeah. I, I, I like that idea theoretically, although I'm just going back, including Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and go, how well has Marvel delivered on these six episodes? Yeah, you well, know what I mean? Like, because yeah. uh, I, I, like I think Loki. 
yeah, but yeah, I, I like. I mean, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the one with the most missed opportunities. Yeah, I, I think they set up the most yeah. interesting stuff, and they really did not deliver on it. You know. Yeah, sadly, because they had their their order episode order cut from ten to six while they were already shooting, so they had to kind of yeah. adapt and improvise. And unfortunately, it it ended up being kind of um, piecemeal, and it doesn't a hundred percent work because they present these really lofty, interesting concepts, but they don't go bone deep into them to really explore them enough. And so you're absolutely right on that. Well, it, it goes into this, you know, what what I call story versus plot, which is yeah. that they said okay we have limited time and they yeah. took more of their time focusing on the plot which was these terrorists and baron whatever his name is and all i mean i remember all that well but yeah baron zemo yeah, yeah. baron zemo and that what they didn't focus on was the most interesting thing which was the characters will america and the idea will america accept a black captain america right that to me right. is the most emotionally resonant powerful idea of the whole movie and they didn't they didn't really deliver they just kind of yeah. went oh and here he is and i guess we accept him you know right right yeah you have a black man clamping or that's my captain america and that's like uh we we needed to do more to build to that moment well, and feel really well it's like what i said about about tony and ptsd is mm -hmm. like right. you have to deal with it you have to like have you can't just go and here it is we're done you have to yeah. deal with it you know Dave Mattingly said earlier in the chat that the, his ptsd carries over into what causes him to create vision uh, what causes him to be a part of the Sokovia Accords? What causes yep. the civil war between him and Cap? That's very possible, but that is not stressed. That is not, you know, uh, explored or shined a light on. That's something that you're kind of assuming as you look at it and putting well, it together. And there are no, certain I, things they do have to lay the groundwork for. I think, I think in terms of, you know, creating Ultron and all that, I, I think that is definitely in there and they do reference it. But yeah, it, it's part of it is there's the difference between uh, how do I put it? So Tony Stark is a selfish jerk and his total journey in the entire MCU is yeah. that he is the one who has to sacrifice himself to save everyone. Right. You know, right. that is. And, and so in that sense, he has a many, many movie long character arc. Yeah. But each yeah. individual film also has a character arc. Right. And so the Tony at the beginning of Iron Man one is not the same as the Tony at the end of Iron Man one. Right. And this episode of it iron man 3 doesn't it, it it establishes a real serious heavy problem and then yeah. doesn't really deliver it in terms of the arc within this particular film that's how, how i would put it yeah uh, and that's the last thing i wanted to ask you about um as we wrap up the store as we wrap up this conversation we've been going for an hour and 10 on this uh, film which i was i'm really surprised by but how do you feel about the arc of tony stark's story in this whole film we start out with a you know happy having these issues with security and all that but and he gets into the coma and that's the thing that motivates but we start out with tony who is doing this voiceover and talking about this time in 1999 and then we go to this tony who is kind of insensitive and ignoring pepper and building these iron men as a hobby which is what uh, Rhodes calls him out for later on in the movie uh and he is mad about what happens to happy he ignores happy when happy's saying Dude, you got to come here. Aldrich Killian, this is a real thing. You got to get over here. He ignores it. He you know, doesn't think it's a big deal. But then it's what eventually Happy's the one that pursues these guys because he suspects something's off. And that's what leads, in essence, to Happy getting in the coma. And he comes out after in the hospital, after he's been in the hospital, comes out and gives his address to a terrorist, essentially putting Pepper in harm's way. And that does almost happen. She almost dies. He almost dies. And then he spends the rest of the movie 
you know, dealing with his PTSD, putting this all together, going against Aldrich killing, uh, letting, unfortunately not being able to stop Pepper being taken and her having the extremists pumped into her body uh, and dealing with the Rebecca Hall's uh, aspect of it all. And at the end does end up saving everybody. And then by the, and then destroys all his Iron Man and uh, uh, fixes the shrapnel around his heart. Uh, and supposedly you have a new Iron Man now at the end of the movie. Do you think the arc worked or do you think there were problems? And I've already, we already spoke about the PTSD, but overall, do you think the arc worked? No, I don't. I don't. I, that, that's and, and hearing you kind of recap it, mm-hmm. it's it sort of points to, to, to why I really don't. I think, you know, because PTSD, they don't deal with the PTSD. And so yeah. it's sort of, and, and you know what makes it worse? I don't know what the worst post-credit sequence is in oh. all of the MCU, <laughs> but if we're saying that Tony Stark is dealing with real emotional, psychological, deep, profound problems. Yeah. Good point. Having a joke therapy scene at the end of the episode for yeah. a laugh yeah. doesn't help the situation. Gives the wrong message. That's a great yeah. point, Steve. Yeah. 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 Especially, yeah. Because that's, yeah. You want to treat it with much more seriousness. And so the way it's treated. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think it works either. I, I, by the time we get to it, look, I still enjoyed the movie, but I'm willing to talk about the things I didn't like about the movie or didn't hundred percent work for me about the movie. But certainly by the end, I don't buy the arc. I don't buy that he, him destroying all these Iron Men. He's somehow taking steps towards his uh, mental well-being because clearly if the PTSD is tied to, as you said, they do mention it or kind of talk about it, Tied to um, uh, the creation of Ultron, tri- tied to what happens to him later with the Sokovia Accords, then then it was not really a strong um, decision to make to do all these things, and it didn't lead to the result that you were hoping it would lead to. So it kind of undercuts it a little bit, you know. So that's why I felt when the Emperor came back in Rise of Skywalker. I'm like, well, what was the fucking point of Vader throwing him down the goddamn chute? Like, to me, it just kind of undercut. I get it. It was for Vader and redemption and all of that. But in the well, end, it's, it a, didn't it's a betrayal. So, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's just like we've been saying. It's like the Mandarin is a betrayal. It's Luke throwing away the lightsaber is a betrayal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's funny. So I'm now, with your permission, because it relates exactly to what we're talking about. Please. I would like to reveal what the next movie we're doing on the Cinephiles is. Ooh, please. Because... Yeah, yeah. Because what we're talking about is PTSD and dealing with trauma and having a story arc. And here's the the thing. This is not the movie. But one of the challenges in doing Batman is that Batman is a fucked up guy. And that you have to keep him fucked up because he's Batman. But you also can resolve a thing or have him deal with a problem within a story arc while he still remains the uh, vengeance-seeking guy that he is. Right. The next movie that we are doing on the cinephiles is Skyfall. Yeah. Skyfall is a fucking fantastic movie. Take the and shot. What is it, and what is it dealing with? It is dealing with trauma. Yeah. And yet the whole point of it is that James Bond has to go from his lowest place and slowly come back till that he is fully James Bond again at the end right. of the film. Right. And within an incredible action movie, they, through all sorts of character stuff, show how he's dealing with what he's dealing with and in very subtle ways with his relationship with M, with the relationship of his past, relationship of all that stuff. And that is what we're that is what is not in Iron Man 3. Right. Not that Iron Man 3 was going to be as serious a film as Skyfall. Skyfall is fairly heavy, Mm -hmm. you know, as a movie, but it's still it's like that's how you do it. And and Iron Man 3 is not how you do it. You know, I think it's always dangerous to bring up heavy stuff in a attempt at a lighthearted movie it doesn't work it rarely works right and so as you said 
with the Bond film, it does get heavy. There are moments of humor in Skyfall, but certainly it's not a prevailing thing because no. the overall point is the journey that he's on, the betrayal, the trauma, the reaction to it all, uh, being left for dead in essence, uh, and how he fights back from all of that and still dealing with the ramifications of Vesper Lynn in his life and all of that. So there is so much that he is dealing with in that movie. So yeah, it's going to be a blast talking about that movie because that is absolutely my favorite James Bond movie, bar none. And I'm very excited to dive into that one and really kind of get our, pull out our fork and knives and really kind of dissect this thing and get to the bone of it all. Cause that's going to be fun for sure. So great point, Steve. Um, all right, well let's, uh, let, yeah. And Bardem, that's a great point too, as well. Paul, Paul says uh, Bardem's character has some serious PTSD in Skyfall for sure. Yeah. And anger about being left behind by MI6. So yeah. Um, all right, well let's wrap up our conversation. Thank you all so much for joining us. We've got a couple well, of announcements, but we've also got uh, one last super chat that rolled through here from uh, Wiley Todd. He said, is it possible to help nudge uh, the Ocean's Eleven episode to get the Hustler done sooner? Love to talk about this happening on Patreon. Thanks. Well, um, Steve, do we want to have – I think maybe that's a good segue to talk about the announcements that we've got coming to the Patreon. So It's actually, it's actually a perfect segue. So yeah. uh, those of you who are on Patreon and there's all sorts of exciting things going on there, yeah. know that for the last, I'd say, two months, we've been having – a discussion with our patrons yeah, about way, ways we can improve what we do on Patreon. And so we are working towards, we haven't finalized all of this yet. Not we yet. haven't figured out all the levels exactly, but we're working to some major changes with Patreon. And the, and the biggest major change, which is going to be a shock to a lot of the people listening yeah. is that with the way that the cinephiles has evolved, you know, when we first started, we did one episode per film and it was an hour episode, which yeah. means that we covered 45 50 films a year in the current way the cinephiles goes we cover you know most movies end up being two parts we've had more three-part episodes yeah. we are covering fewer films and we have more people on patreon and so initially our plan was that for the highest uh contributors that we would do a pick of their movie we would do on the cinephiles and it's just not going to be possible at the rate that we do films and so we've just gathered a whole bunch of picks from people that support us at the above $25 level. And we are going to be trying to work through those. Yes. But then moving forward, we are changing the way we do stuff, which is that the highest level contributors, again, we haven't figured out these numbers, but it's probably 25 or above or something like that will be part of what we are calling the cinephiles advisory board. Yeah. And what we're going to do is we are going to have a live monthly chat on zoom where we can see you face to face and discuss what the schedule is going to be. Now, John and I are still the boss to yeah. be real clear. Yeah. Like we're going to decide it, but we really want to get your input. And so things like Wiley's question about the hustler is a perfect example right. of discussing, well, which classics are you really looking for us to get into? What, you know, what are, what are we missing? What have we not done enough of? And what would you like to see as a live show? Or what would you like to see as a watch along? By the way, speaking of watch alongs in James Bond, we just released a watch along of from Russia with love. Uh, which was a fantastic conversation, particularly because John had never seen the film. So we yeah. did that. That's up on Patreon right now. And so that is the biggest change. And then what we're going to do each month is we're going to release our schedule exclusively to our members on Patreon. Again, we haven't figured out exactly the numbers. And that is what will have been decided in our conversation with the Cinephiles Advisory Board. So that is the biggest part of the changes that are happening on Patreon. Yeah, and all of that was born out of the great uh, responses that so many of you gave to uh, the emails that I sent out to asking you all, like, what 
how do you feel the Patreon is going? How could it improve? What would inspire you to jump up a level? So we kind of took a lot of your suggestions and parsed through them. Steve and I had multiple conversations about them. And this is what we kind of landed on that sounded good for us that will allow you all to have even more of a, how can I say this, more of an ownership in the show. doesn't mean you run the show. We run the show. We create the show. <laughs> we do the show. Make it clear. I'm still territorial. And I will bark at you if you come on my porch. But we, we are very open to having the gate open and having you all hang out in the yard. And we talk with you about how we want the show to go. And uh, we will establish the schedule. And because a lot of you said that you'd love to have the schedule ahead of time. And so that's a way of us getting to do that schedule ahead of time. Will we sometimes make adjustments depending on people passing away? Of course, or other situations coming up. Sure. But overall, that'll be where the, our most treasured patrons will be a part of, um, well, I'll say, like I said, our, our, the patrons who contribute at a higher level will feel more of an ownership of the show. And this was a way of us giving back to you all. So we hope this strikes you all as a, positive change and as steve said we've still compiled a list that we're going to get to those picks and do those things so this will be coming down the road but it will actually be happening hopefully by the end of the year if not early next year where we will have the advisory council in place and we'll have those monthly meetings for sure and establishing all of that and i don't want them to go two hours we're going to keep it very we're going to run it like a tight ship but everyone will get a chance to speak and contribute and have conversations about where we're going so yeah Plus, it's also a, a fun private Q&A that we can do once yes. a month just to yeah. talk. You know, it's not just going to be the plans for the cinephiles. It's also the latest Marvel news or the latest thing or, you know, to, you know, just questions that we can answer and conversations that we're looking forward to have with yeah. all of you. Yeah. Fair point. Um, all right. But there we go. Uh, no more Streamlabs. And Super oh, wait. Actually, Vincent Zawada sent in and said, so excited for Skyfall. Casino Royale is my favorite. Well, we did Casino Royale. A few years ago, so several years ago, yeah, yeah, several years ago, you can go back and uh, take a look at that or take a listen to that one again if you'd like to and see the difference in how we're doing the show now versus how we did the show back then. But uh, we're definitely excited to be jumping into Skyfall. All right, Steve, uh, I think that's it from us. Uh, uh, what do we have to tell them in terms of where they can follow us and how they can uh, be a part of the cha- of the uh, show? Well, as you can see right below our beautiful faces, we have at the Roca says and at SR Morris for to follow us. You can uh, also listen to my Star Trek podcast where we are almost done with season one of the animated series. That's Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. Excuse me. I had a you ever have like the like a burp that's like stuck in your throat? Yeah. It's very uncomfortable when you have to speak on the microphone. It is. Um, and of course, you could subscribe to the YouTube channel right here, where we hope you're also liking this video. You can subscribe to us on podcast uh, on all the podcast places like Apple Podcasts, like Stitcher, like Spotify, um, where we would also like your reviews. You can review us. I think you can review us on Spotify now as well, yeah, yeah. as well as doing it on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to buy or stream Iron Man 3, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed, you can do it at cinephiles.net. Mm-hmm. And I think, and of course, patreon.com slash the cinephiles, where all these changes are going to be rolled out in the next, you know, when we figure it all out. <laughs> yes. And I think next week we'll make our big announcement right on our main show about uh, the jump we've recently made uh, and giving some love to uh, a certain company that reached out to us and asked us to come aboard. So we will make that announcement. Uh, uh, in our next main show and give you guys a little more information on that as well. Uh, as for me, you can follow me at the Roka says, as Steve just said on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the outlaw nation on Twitch, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roka says, and all my podcasts aside from the cinephiles, 
the Geek Buddies, and the Hot Mic that are out there for you all to enjoy as well. But don't forget about the YouTube channel. It's massive. The Jedi Way is happening. We just got Kevin Smets as our third member. We've got new reviews coming, and there's more coming down the road for that. So please come and hang out with me there and all the great guests I get to be to have on that channel as well. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Have a great rest of your Mother's Day, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand-new Cinephiles Live episode next month here from John and Steve on the Cinephiles. Take care.